Helen and Paul Webster founded their company, Walk Highlands, back in 2006 as a platform to encourage the enjoyment of walking in Scotland. The idea for this website came whilst they completed a 4,000 mile continuous walk across Europe together and it's clearly now taken on a life of its own. Alongside six other team members, they've built their website into the busiest walking site in the UK, with half a million unique visitors each month. Back in July, Helen and Paul signed a three-book deal with us at Vertebrate Publishing, with their first book, Scottish Island Bagging. Their next two titles with Vertebrate will be the first two Scotland guidebooks to join the popular Day Walk series. The first, covering the Cairngorms, and the second, Glencoe and Fort William, both due to be published in 2020. I caught up with Helen and Paul to talk about their Scottish travel, their new book, Scottish Island Bagging, and to find out more about the travel trend that has been featured in three national papers and inspired so many adventures. So what is it about Scottish island bagging that's really caught your imagination? I think we've just been amazed at how many and different islands there are in Scotland. Once you've been to one, you kind of get a bit addicted and you start thinking, oh, there's another little one and there's a smaller one and this one's got a different community. And each one is just a brilliant experience in a fairly short time. So you can come away from a a two-day trip to an island feeling like you've had a week's holiday, totally refreshed and and back to your normal life. With that in mind, I assume you would challenge the negative connotations that sometimes come from the term bagging. I'm sure you see it as much more than a quick tick on a travel wish list. But I think really the word bagging originates really from Munro bagging. And I think that association with the sort of surface tourism is a bit unfair because Munro bagging, it takes a whole lifetime for most people. It's a huge achievement that means a lot to them and they have to keep going back and doing it and they really get to know the places. So I'd argue that both Munro bagging and island bagging, really they are a form of slow tourism in that something where people are really going to get to know Scotland and they're going to spend a whole lifetime doing it. In perhaps a much more positive light, it was described as an eco-adventurer's dream in the Telegraph article recently. I'm sure you'd have something to say about that too. Absolutely. I think at the moment people are looking for ways to reduce their carbon footprint when they're going on holiday. And visiting the islands does just that. You can go by by ferry to most of the islands. That's a really low impact way of travelling. And the islands themselves, many of them are too small to make it worthwhile taking a car. And you can have a really adventurous break using public transport, bikes or on foot. And then once you're there, the activities tend to be pretty low impact. You you know, you, you're sampling local seafood, you're watching the wildlife, you're doing a bit of photography, you may be rock pooling or wild swimming. You know, you can have a, a fantastic guilt-free trip, um, which is what, you know, a lot of people are looking for and it fits in with, with what we need to do at the moment. In what ways do you hope that the book challenges travellers to Scotland? So obviously an island like Skye gets lots of visitors and the main sites can be busy. And we hope that the book convinces people who've gone to Skye that they should also go to Rasay and get off the mainstream tourist routes. And the same thing with somewhere like Orkney, where there's justly famous archaeological sites on the mainland that see lots of people, but far less people uh, take a trip out to Rasay or Sande, which have equally spectacular archaeological sites. And they're more atmospheric because you're probably the only person there. So we hope that people with the book, the book encourages people to go on a bit more of an adventure on their trip. 
I would think that island bagging is the perfect get away from it all sort of experience where you can unplug from real life and and just experience the, the environment around you, I suppose, the, the sights and the sounds. It, yeah, it is. I mean, when people are going on a weekend break or a holiday, what they're really wanting to do is to get away from the ordinary. And there's really no better way to do that than by putting water between you and that, and that normal life because you can't just get in a car and go home. I think when you do come home, you, you realise that there are just so many different Scottish islands, you can immediately start planning your next visit, which is what a lot of us do when we come back from, from a break. And that planning itself is an escape in itself and a, a great way to spend an evening. Now, I'm sure your experiences are plentiful, to say the least, but what have been some of your most favourite or memorable moments of Scottish island bagging? There are just so many, but I think for me... Exploring the islands has, has enabled us to see some amazing wildlife. And one encounter that sticks in my mind is we were on Yell, which is a, an island in the, the Shetland Islands. And we spent over an hour watching an otter and her cub. They were playing, they were grooming, they were fishing, they were in and out of the water, but they were literally a metre from us and unaware that we were there. You could hear the bones crunching of the fish they were eating. And it was just absolutely magical. I was on a high for the rest of the week. We saw numerous otters by chance during the rest of the trip. But I think that one encounter was just, you know, it's just amazing and totally sticks with you. Yeah, I was, I was thinking once we were having quite a stressful time a few years ago and we wanted to get away. And we knew that the small isles are really spectacular to look at. But we decided to go a bit offbeat and we went to the Isle of Muck which from a distance looks like not a very interesting island. It's much more low-lying than, than its neighbours, which obviously look really stunning. Uh, but when we got there, we went on the ferry. We were the only people to get off the ferry on Muck, and we'd booked to stay in a yurt, and the lady who owns the yurt picked us up in a car that had no doors because you don't need an MOT or anything on Muck. And we stayed the night in this yurt all on its own on the west coast of the island, and there was an amazing sunset over the, the mountains on neighbouring Rum. And then I actually hurt my back taking photos because it was so spectacular on the beach. And then the next day we wandered around the island and everywhere we went, people were coming out to ask how my back was and whether I was feeling any better. And I just think that's the sort of experience that you get on, the, on a lot of the smaller islands. Yeah, it really sounds like you get sort of absorbed into the community, even in quite a short space of time, perhaps. Oh, absolutely. I think there's only about 12 people that live on Mark, So, And it's got a tiny island um, school so if you take a child there or something you know that they they can automatically make friends you know and it's just brilliant to to see it's very rare that you get to see a tiny community and feel like you're part of it for a very short time would you describe it as the sort of travel that would appeal to families and small children oh absolutely i don't think there's anything more exciting for for a, a child than than stepping on a ferry and it, it means that the journey becomes part of the adventure and you know, small children are really excited on boats and, and, you know, going to an island that's incredibly exciting for them. And I think that enthusiasm is really infectious. And adults, we're looking to to try and get that child's eye view of things again, the, the slower pace. So, you know, once you're on an island, you might be, you might have to spend time, you know, rock pooling or something while you're waiting for the, the sea to retreat before you walk across to a, a, a smaller tidal island. And that sort of experience with children is just magical. The, the other thing I'd, I'd like to say is the, the parents 
many of the islands, there really isn't a lot to spend your money on. A lot of the, the experiences are free. You, you know, you're exploring caves or you're, you're looking for, for wildlife, that sort of thing. So it reduces the pester power because there aren't the, the, the things, there just aren't the, the shops or the other, you know, things that you're, you'd normally have to spend on. Well, I certainly think it's safe to say that my chat with Helen and Paul has certainly put Scottish islands on my wanderlust list. And Paul's incredible photographs in Scottish island bagging only serve to highlight just how magical, mystical and majestic the Scottish islands are. To find out more about Scottish island bagging, you can check out posts on the Vertebrate Publishing blog, v-publishing.co.uk forward slash blog or search Island Bagging on The Guardian, The Telegraph or The Times websites. And of course, you can visit walkhighlands.co.uk. And if you'd like to buy yourself a copy of this beautiful book, you can find it in the walking category at v-publishing.co.uk. As ever, these links will all be available in the show notes. <laughs>